This podcast is part of the Frederick Podcast Network. Learn more at listenfrederick.com. Welcome to season three of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast with Adina, Brian, Chris, and Steve. The biggest, most fun podcast in the galaxy. This is the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, season three. He's the interviewee so nice, we now interview him twice. I'm talking about the great Doug Drexler. This is our second time to interview Doug. He was one of our first celebrity guests and one of the first who has worked on so many series and episodes of Star Trek. That was back in April of 2022. A lot has occurred in the world since then in the personal and private life of Doug. Season two of Picard has run its course and season three is about to debut. However, when this podcast is released, Paramount will have aired a few episodes. That was just a couple of highs in Doug's life. One of the low points was the passing of his mate, his muse, the love of his life, his wonderful wife, Dorothy, Dorothy Dudler. Is I, am I pronouncing the last name correct? Duder. Duder. It's like the big Lebowski. Ah. The Duder. The Duder. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. This is what Mike and Denise Okuda said about Dorothy. We are devastated at the passing of Dorothy Duder after a long, years-long battle with cancer. Dorothy was smart, independent, determined, funny, and glamorous. She got her start in the film industry as an extra on such films as The Right Stuff, one of our favorites, and her subsequent work as a production controller and accountant earned her friends everywhere she worked. This is most important. Dorothy is known as the Star Trek community in the Star Trek community as the kitchen goddess for her talents as a food stylist on Star Trek Enterprise, where she was the real life NX01 chef. In the art department, she loved the day she worked on the set because she always brought us a plate of wonderful cookies. Is that right, Doug? We got all the leftovers. We knew we were uh, okay. She used to Dorothy... bake like Westmore a box of brownies <laughs> with a special kind of chocolate. Ooh. And she'd bring them to him. And you'd see him all day long going on his rounds and going around the studio with the box of brownies under his arm because he didn't want to leave them anywhere. <laughs> you know, living with Dorothy was like living at a four-star resort. Oh, my God. Every day she carefully planned out, you know, something beautiful for dinner. And it was, you know, of course... I had to sit with a place setting and you know, there's no standing up and eating in the kitchen, which is what I'm right. doing a lot of now. Right. As, as my friend said, when he, when he goes to a party, they say, what did you bring? He said, I brought a fork. <laughs> so you were always prepared with a fork. Well, you know, it really was, uh, she was way too good for me. I don't know how I ended up with her at all. And, mm. um, she was my, um, we always, I always, we always felt like um, uh, that we were before this, and that we'll be after it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, we always were so vibrating at the same frequency that um, it just felt eternal. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know if there's an afterlife or not, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> just yet. any off chance, right? Yeah, right. Um, so to continue with what uh, Mike and Denise said, Dorothy was always the extra mild to care for her friends, including the squirrels in her backyard and the neighborhood stray kittens. She took no shit from anyone, 
but she was intensely loyal to those she loved, especially her husband, Doug Drexler, who was the love of her life. She lived from 1952 to 2022. So today we are going to talk to Doug about what has been happening in the world of sci-fi since we last spoke to him. And we're going to ask Doug about Dorothy, as this podcast is to honor her and is to dedicate it to her as well. But before we begin, let's have a few words from the members of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, because once we allow Doug to speak, as you've already learned, <laughs> this might run a long time. <laughs> let's go in alphabetical order, beginning with the lovely letter A. Hey, everybody. It's Adina Mignona. Good afternoon, evening. Morning, wherever, wherever you are. Yeah. And this is, am I lovely too? I don't know. Yes, I'm, you are. You're handsome, gorgeous. Whatever. Uh, Brian Donahue, Northeast Ohio. Hello from, it's freaking cold here. It's like 25 degrees today, but I'm happy to be here on this No ice storms like, in, like in Texas, huh? You, uh, you guys are warming my day up tremendously. Okay. So That's good. <laughs> and next, yeah. all the way Pretty from nice Colorado. out here. <laughs> Pretty nice. I can imagine. I can imagine. Go barefoot. <laughs> <laughs> the sun's shining. It's beautiful. It's just stinking cold. Chris, how are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm excited because, um, as you will probably know if you're listening to this, if you listen to a lot of our shows, and my co hosts know this, one of my favorite things is food. And I love the fact that Enterprise has scenes where characters actually sit down and enjoy a meal. It always bothered me in TNG when they sit down and then they immediately get up and go do something. It's like, let's just sit down and enjoy it. Um, so I'm excited today. This is going to be a, a really... enjoyed her chocolate. She did. There's like two great scenes with her where it's just like, yes, finally someone enjoying mm -hmm. a meal on a starship. Yes. The thing about <laughs> Enterprise was that when they were eating the food and it looked like they were enjoying it. They really, really, really were enjoying it. <laughs> uh, especially Malcolm, uh, you know, would he he eat the plate every take, you know, <laughs> and that meant you had to reset everything completely. And, you know, uh, uh, and they learned to feed him in his trailer as much as he wanted <laughs> before he came to stage. Cause I actually have a blooper I saved of them in the uh, mess hall. And uh, yeah, Malcolm is supposed to, he totally misses his line. He's so busy. And you can hear the farfing <laughs> suction noise while he was eating, being picked up Fantastic. by the boom guy. <laughs> oh, that's great. But yeah, um, they really ate and they, and, they, and they enjoyed it. And I understand that because uh, she fed me for 32 years. Mm. And well, that, uh, that's always one of my questions I was going to have for you, Doug, was, you know, there was always the scenes in Enterprise where they would sit down, steak, potato, iced tea, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Always iced tea. Say, captain, we, we need you up on the on the bridge, Captain. He would run from the plate and the food was always left over. So my question was going to be, did it end up in Porthos Bowl or <laughs> did it end up getting eaten afterwards? I'd say, well, you know. Probably by then they would know what the captain likes if he has to. He he likes. Last time I gave it to the dog, he was so disappointed that I had to make him a new plate. So oh, no. I don't know. Could be. Well, it had to be an improvement 
you had to be proven over the secrecies of your captain, you know. Yeah, what, what's it had the to ice? be proven over the play doh that they used to eat on uh, the original Star Trek series, the little square cubes. Yeah, they st- colored styrofoam, and you know, they did use Dorothy had to recreate those for trials and no trials. No, it was for the Enterprise episode, the Mirror episode. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, it demirrored darkly. Yeah. yeah, that was cool. She made the food. She had to recreate those squares. Yeah. Were they edible this time? Uh, yes, actually, they were. She didn't make them out of styrofoam. She cut them out of fruits <laughs> and stuff like that. You could eat them. Nice, nice. So well, we made question chocolate of... worms once. Nice <laughs> <laughs> for flocks to eat, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm going to say this now, and then we can move into our conversation. But and with that, and everybody's made there. I'm Steve Merkin. Also, hello. Uh, and with that, let's begin our discussion with the marvelous, funny, creative, super cool, and all around great guy, Doug Drexler. And now, Doug, can I borrow that twenty dollars? I had no idea you were talking about me. I'm like, I'm like kind of drifting off here. Yeah. I'm... <laughs> Like those are nice things you're saying about me, Steve. Thanks, bro. And then it's Doug. I <laughs> can't, don't, be I... Me. can't be me. <laughs> well, always Brian. Always the nicest things for you. So I mean, um, so since our last conversation in April, Doug, what have you been working on in movie or TV that you can talk about if uh, you can? That period of time was really rough because that was just before Dorothy, you know, went into a spiral. But uh um I wasn't working through most of that time. I was just looking after her. Mm, Right. Uh, And then I guess. And like on July 2nd, Dorothy passed on July 1st, like on July 2nd, Robert Strohmeyer, who was the art director on the Orville called me and said, we're starting up Ted over at Universal. Now, you know, Ted, the Seth MacFarlane thing with the, Little teddy bear. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. The foul mouth little teddy bear that he was. A series. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, Robert, man, I don't know. I mean, I it's been one week. I've never been like this before. I'm an emotional wreck. You know, uh, I can't guarantee I won't lose it in the mm. middle of the show if this if things get crazy. And he was like, No, I think it would be good for you. Uh, and give it a try. If mm-hmm. there's a problem, we'll work it out as it happens. So it was really good for me to go to Ted. Uh, and it, I could see Universal from my house. So I could stay home most of the week. I'd go in like two days a week. Mm, and that was fun because it was all my friends from the Orville, mm-hmm. pretty much, were working on Ted. And it's such an offbeat show for me to work on. It really is Leave It to Beaver, except it's a teddy bear. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Leave It Probably to Beaver. Yeah. I, I'd seen the movie. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not Leave It to Beaver. I don't think so. Uh, I don't Leave It to Beaver. Bear unedited. <laughs> You've never seen the Leave It to Beaver unedited. And they almost made him change that name too. <laughs> um, really. In the original Leave It to Beaver, they had to they almost had to change the name Beaver. Well, think about it. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> this is a family show. I didn't say I didn't anything. I know we were going there. I kind of stepped I right said into nothing. that. So <laughs> so you get so I I think this is really interesting, Doug, because what one of the hardest thing I have a ninety-six year old grandfather, okay? 
who's in rehab right now. He fell before New Year's, uh, but he today he's like, I think I want to try to just go back to my apartment, not even do assisted living. I think who wants to be ninety six years old? I asked right. You. Well, I well, he was ninety six. <laughs> uh, he said getting to be old is everyone says they want to be old. Right. You really don't. You really right. don't. You're like right. four when you're 90 years old 96 well he's this this man has some of the most spunk i've ever seen in a human being and uh he lost his wife about three years ago and they were they were married like 75 years um together and to see him what kept him going was his collection of friends because the man was incredibly they were so they're the most social 90 plus years old as I've ever seen in my life still he still drove um until he had this fall just at New Year's is still out driving around town amazing That's but scary. his friends really helped <laughs> it is a little bit let me every time we see him in the car we go is this the day we're taking <laughs> um <laughs> uh but anyways his friends really helped pull him through and so yeah it sounds like you had a friend that said this could be good for you just try yeah. it out well, he was right about that. Uh, you know, I didn't know. Right. He's trying to get out of jail free card. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. He has a right to lose his mind. <laughs> right, right, right. And I well, think was... I did blurt out a couple of times when we were on the show when things were going sideways, because things go sideways all the time. Mm -hmm. I go in Robert's office and he's like, you can't leave. And I'm like, I was kidding. I was kidding. A joke. <laughs> <laughs> but people know I'm unpredictable right now, you know? Yeah. yeah. So it scares them a little bit if they're in a place where they really need you to perform your job. Right, you know? right. It's like mm -hmm. in the middle of a show to lose somebody. That's. Sure. You know. Well, yeah. And, you know, it's. <sighs> I, I can only the only comparison is, is like when my my best friend Ross his brother passed away. I mean, he passed away and he came into work the next day. And my boss, our, who we working together, he went, "What are you doing here?" He says, "What am I supposed to do? I could sit at home, but I'd rather be no, busy." It, it was good for me to go to work. You know, it was scary to go until I realized mm. that I'd have no problem. Right. Uh, and it kept my mind off of things, but you know. Um, do, do you experience the uh, in a show like that? That's that's a humorous show. Do you experience any of that humor and laughter because it's a comedy any more than you would like Picard, or is it is it up to you guys to infuse the humor in what you're doing and and just the lightheartedness and what the artists? No, like yeah, you, you guys, mean, yeah, yeah. Do you mean like off, like behind the scenes? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had we had a lot of fun behind the scenes, but we were discouraged to put jokes anywhere that we made up. Oh, OK, you know, gotcha. gotcha. You know, Robert says, let the writers be funny. Mm -hmm. On Star Trek, we used to slip jokes in that you can't really do anymore because it's 4K. And if you stop <laughs> in a hallway, you know, you're going to be able to read the label, you know. Um, and that's the, the right best one that you, you slipped in. What was that? What was the best joke in, in track that you slipped in? Well, I always love the stuff that Mike put on the labels, you know. Uh, it's 186,000 miles per second. It's not just a good idea. It's the law. Mm -hmm. You don't pull on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull America on the old Lone Ranger. And you don't mess around with Jim. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. 
And Mike started that. In those days, you couldn't read them. Right. And, people, they, he, and really early capsule labels, they were numbers. So you could just go like this, you know, and put a bunch of numbers out. But then uh, I don't know what the – he put a joke somewhere and someone loved it. You know, I mean, on the big cross-section of the uh, Enterprise D, there was the rat and the captain's Porsche. And there's a silhouette of Nomad. And, um, oh, yeah, down in engineering, there was a wheel with a hamster running on it. That's right. <laughs> Stuff like that. That's you great. You really I don't think I knew about that. You really can't do that now. You know. Because it'll show up. You'll you'll see it in 4K really you'll well. see it. And people mm -hmm. can freeze frame shit. And, you know, right, I mean, right. when we were yeah. doing TNG and DS9, you might be able to freeze frame it, but it probably had tear lines across it, and you know, <laughs> uh, and uh, and that was standard def, I think, right? Deep, deep space. Yeah, I think standard so. Yeah, def. it was shot on film, except the visual effects, right? Digital, you know. Um, but uh, I was going to ask with with Ted, what specific are you doing on it since it's a reality show it's not a science fiction show it's not a you know yeah i mean i've done normal world shows before i don't like doing them <laughs> <laughs> you know i i i i'm known for something you know and but that that kind of thing is really easy as pie i mean that's the main reason i said i would do it because i felt like it was easy a graphics okay. <clears throat> like for instance but it's really bigger than you expect like there's scenes on new york city street at Universal. And that means you've got to do signage for every single store. Right. And also the stuff in the windows and uh, hanging signs. So it's actually a lot of work. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I, I said to Robert, I thought you said this was going to be easy. And he goes, I lied. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's how he snuck you in. He right. made it seem like it was going to be a piece of cake. I just not just the stores, but you've got to have all the traffic type signs that fit there, the part of the country, and trucks and stuff driving by. They've mm. got to have R on them. It's it's really huge. Wow, you don't really think huge. about that when you watch a movie. Yeah. How much detail work goes into that, and how many times different street you know lots have been used for streets, you know, and how they've got to redo everything on it. You know, you don't think about that. Oh, yeah, every production comes in and, and sets up the uh, background the way they want it. That way they also protect themselves. Hmm. If there's stuff that was left there by another production and they didn't have the right to use it and it came from real life and it's in their movie, now they could be sued by somebody. Uh. <laughs> Everything on screen has to be cleared. It's really, I mean, years ago, you didn't think much about that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, We would go on the internet and just take stuff off the internet and use it. You know, Now it's like, you can't do that. Yeah, you know, if you're not making the picture yourself, you either have to get it from a place like iStock or you know, mm -hmm. if you're making it yourself, there's no problem, you know. Right. But, but on a show that's real world, if people are on the subway reading magazines, those if those are magazines that we're familiar with, then they have to get clearance I'll to use them, and then you have to make sure that the dates on those magazines coincide with what you where you are. <laughs> You know, uh, so it's a, it's a lot of work. I much prefer working on spaceships, <laughs> you know. Um, so 
is it easier like even then in like a real world kind of scenario to like still make a fake like make a fake magazine versus yeah but sometimes the directors if the director says i want this world to be real i don't want Mm -hmm. any make-believe stuff so you guys have to go through legal pull stuff out you think i might like it fit with the show i'll look at i'll pick stuff out you'll have to run it by legal and see if there's a way they could use it or they could work a deal. And that can be difficult sometimes. Mm-hmm. Was this <clears> always <throat> the case, Doug, working in whenever you did anything like when you did, you know, Dick Tracy, but that was more of well, that was more. It's just that, that in worlds like doing. Dick Tracy and Star Trek, you're making everything. Okay. You know, so you don't have those problems. You know, if you have a magazine, Oh, yeah, we could use Time Magazine, but it's got a picture of John Lennon on it. Well, wait, his estate has the right to charge you to use that picture, even though it's just on a magazine. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so there's a lot of legal stuff and uh, and that the studios have to deal with these days, especially since there's so much that you can pull off the Internet. You know. Right. So basically, it seems like it's easier for you to do something like Picard season oh, three. Oh, Orville was, easy, was a piece of cake compared to that. Yeah, because you're, you're, everything is... Compared to Ted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because you don't have to get all those nutty approvals. Mm-hmm. That's, you know? see, we don't know that. As you know, when we're watching a movie or TV show, we don't really understand. Well, that all Star that Trek we, we or Orville, you don't, or Battlestar Galactica, you just don't have that issue. Mm-hmm. It's all another universe, you know? I mean, when I was on Deep Space Nine, I remember we had to show these minds... And Laurel Ricard's found a, uh, it was like a composter or something. And we just put labels on it and taped it up with graphic tape. It looked awesome. But I mean, can you do that now? You know? I mean, for the the minefield, like of the wormhole? Oh, I don't remember which episode. I don't remember where they were. I just know we had the Defiant Laying Mines in some episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was the the wormhole. That was cool. So you had to, right, I forget that someone actually had to design those minds and make them look realistic. Well, you know, no one designed them. Basically, Laura says, oh. I've got these cool dumpsters I found. You know, that's crazy. You think you could use these? And then Michael look at it and I'll look at it and we'll say some labels and some tape, you know, and some refractive paper here and there to light up. <laughs> that's you know, awesome. And it's a mine. It's amazing what you could do with a, a, a caddy full of graphic tape and labels, you know. Uh, so, but I, but the thing is, like, could you do that now? Would you need to get special permission to use mm. that thing for that? You know, um, gotcha. The the whole universe has changed in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, I, my question I got is, will there be a fourth season of the Orville? Have you well, been spoken to about that? I nobody knows. You know, um, I think there's as it's a good indicator that they moved it onto Disney Plus. That's a pretty good indicator. Yeah. You'd think. You'd think. You know? uh, but the way things are these days, they don't move that. First of all, I'm sure that he's still working on Ted right now. You know? And if they're going to do a show, I'm sure that the writers are, if the word has been given, I don't know. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. They've got to come up with their scripts. Right. You know? And um, I mean, it's got to be months and months down the line well there was a big jump big time between season two and season. Well, you know three that's just the way it is now i mean when i was 
like on TNG and DS9. And, you know, it was like 26 episodes every year without fail. Mm -hmm. Now it's like 10 episodes. <clears throat> and and they don't and they're spending huge amounts of money on shows now compared to what they used to spend. Yeah, that's right. And because they're the pie has been sliced so thin. I mean, look at what's available to watch. It's absolutely nuts. Right. Even MGM has an MGM Plus now, you know. And uh, everybody's got a service they want you to subscribe to. It's like nuts. Uh, I'm, I, I'm thinking about, you know, like I have, I guess you could call it AT&T U-verse or something cable where it comes with, you know, all the channels. And, and I'm thinking about ditching that. And just getting a Roku. That that's what my daughter yeah. has done. I'm being charged like ninety bucks a month for the TV half. I don't need as long as I got the internet, I can use the Roku. And there's so right, much right. Up there to look at. Yeah, that's yeah. always the question is to you know, you got cable and all these services. Where does you know if you can get all your network channels and everything on? A Roku or or one of those. I mean, it's like when do I ever watch network? I like never watch network. Mm -hmm. Never, yeah. you know. Um, very very rare. The problem problem I have with all the different streaming services is like me and my friends and family. None of us have like the same overlapping set, so we're all watching different things. So we can't all talk about the same. Right. Even the four yeah. of us here, when we you know we have to like figure out, well, do which what do we have? Can we all talk about a certain you know, science fiction show? Because do we all even? I have to say it was kind of a golden age from the late 50s up until streaming became big, mm -hmm. where there were three networks, three of them, count them, three. That's mm -hmm. three, right? <laughs> yep. three, three networks. Chances are most of the people you know in your day yep. watched the same thing you did last night. Yep. So there was a much more water cooler talk. Yeah. Now it's like, you're probably not watching anything I'm watching. I mean, it's all so broken, fragmented. Mm -hmm. It's worse than the Marvel multiverse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah but we say a lot now with, with my group of friends and family. It's, it's uh, oh, I've uh, that's on my list. We say that on the podcast, mm -hmm. but oh, oh I've yeah. got to watch that or yeah. I'm, I've got five other shows I'm trying to Homework catch up on. And like then a mile long. <laughs> that never used to happen until Did anyone streaming. see Hollywood, ba anyone see Babylon? Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. I have not no. yet. No, that has been I so saw a commercial for it. Critics, but it's quite crazy. That's that's <laughs> what Mr. David Livingston said to us about it's it. It's worth watching. Um, I think it kind of loses its way about halfway through, but it's so insane. Sort of in the same way that Moulin Rouge is, mm. where there's so much being thrown at you so quickly if you've never seen it before that mm -hmm. it can be overwhelming. And so is Babylon. And the thing I love about Babylon is that. There's this idea about Hollywood that's promoted by Hollywood, not necessarily even remotely close to real, <laughs> you know. I mean, there's, a, you know, like I don't know if you have ever seen the stuntman with uh, 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 Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole. Oh gosh, that's a mm. long time ago. That's an amazing movie, uh, and it's like this fantasy idea of how they make movies. You know, there's that scene on the beach where the everyone's okay, and then the plane comes in. There's big explosions, and people are blown apart, and that's not the way it works at all, you know. But um, it's like um, in the old Mission Impossible, uh, putting a makeup on, you know, uh, Rollin' Hand to look like somebody else. And is right, you know, or they make the appliance right there. Actually, we're getting to the point now, like in more recent Mission Impossible movies, where you could do that. I know guys who have a bit, have made appliances that were sculpted uh, 
scan the actor's face in, sculpt with ZBrush or something on the actor's face, hmm. and then they, they're able to print out the appliance. Oh my goodness! So there's yeah, now crazy. it's like it used to be. Uh, uh, directors and stuff thought that you could make an appliance in the in your living room. I saw it on Mission Impossible. The <laughs> audience pretty much, or that you could go and yank that thing off easily. Reveal. But it's yeah. made to stay on. <laughs> you know, you can't do that with real makeup. But uh, with some of the stuff we're seeing now with printers and, you know, maybe it has an electromagnetic adhesion that you could turn off. I don't know. <laughs> you know, on Marvel, there'd be a net. Remember? Um, mm. Oh, yeah. That was uh, uh, Winter, says, Winter, Winter Soldier, right? Yeah, she pulls yeah. the net off and she says, oh, I'm sorry. Did I step on your moment? <laughs> yeah, but it's it's the weight thing that I can't figure out. Like, I, I get I'll buy the face mask. But like, how do you change someone's physical weight? Like when Tom Cruise is being um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's like, OK, I don't he put some stuff in him. But I'm like that. Something doesn't fit here. Well, I mean, but it's all cool. You can make body appliances, you know. I mean, we've put weight on people who need We've made people pregnant in movies. You know, um, gotcha. if it's in the future, then they, you know, they use a transporter and and, and uh, <laughs> yeah. manipulate you. <laughs> the, the holodeck can do that too. The holodeck can make you pregnant, oh. which is horrifying. <laughs> right? I can not. Where 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 Belana Torres is like in the the Herogen holodeck program, and she has a she's pregnant with a baby, and then it's huh. like she's not really supposed to be in real life. It's like what? That's yeah. wild. <laughs> Right. No, I I have a I don't I don't buy that. There's certain feelings I don't think a I don't remember could do that there. episode. Well, I don't, re- you no, know, do I don't you remember, remember this where the, the, I the think Hiro- that they must have addressed it in some way. Where uh, the Herojin take over the take over Voyager and they're all running different programs. I gotta and, go watch that again. And Torres, her character mm-hmm. in the holodeck program because her mind's been wiped and she's like her memory. Okay, now this isn't character. all happening in her mind, is it? No, no, this is like a real thing where the Herojin take over the ship. And they, I guess, mess around with people's memories. So all the, all of our main characters are in the holodeck, but they all think they're all like World War II characters. Oh, okay. So, so, but they're also messing with their brains. But she's really pregnant, even though, of course, they Maybe included she just that. She's pregnant. Yeah, I don't How know. Do just it's just like, what's the name of that episode, Chris? It's uh, Killing Game Part One and Part Two. Okay. It's, it's good. It's actually soon to rewatch list. Who knows? Yeah. Also Better things long. to talk about. Screw that. Then... <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I have one question I'm dying crew. to know. If I can, if I can be so bold, Steve, do you mind? Please go right ahead. No, this is open, open mic night. Remember, I, I watched the whole first half of the chief Cincinnati game just to see the new Picard trailer. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. And then. About that. And then they they said full trailer available online. You saw like twenty seconds of the whole trailer, okay. and then it says go online. I was like, Oh, well, they alerted you that it was online. Correct. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't right. watch the game, it so was, I went online trailer. and found it. It is it's a great, great trailer. trailer. But my question oh, so is, good. my question is, if you're allowed to say yes or no to this, but oh, I won't say anything. I, uh, right, right. But did you have a? Did you have any? work creatively on the titan uh well i mean it's basically it's a based on a bill kraus design okay the shangri-la and so that was given to me and i built an approval model okay where we use nacelles that look related to the nacelles that were on stargazer you know they're like the latest nacelles 
Um, uh, and but basically kept it, you know, I mean, sweetened the line somewhat and detailed it out and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, but that's that's where I was involved with those ships. Cool. Cool. I'm you know, the, the approval model, once Terry likes it, he pulls the trigger, it goes to the visual effects house. Okay. And then they they do a full-blown model, you know, with really highly textured. I'll, I'll do basic textures to show plate uh, uh, plate patterns, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, Starfleet ships have to have Close an organized plate pattern. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Can, How many can we talk about ships? the trailer for a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. I've got, oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I tried to break it down, but it's like there's too much to unpack. So I'm like trying to do like smaller videos, breaking it down. It, it looks amazing. Everything about it looks amazing. Yeah. There was just one teeny tiny little minor detail that is just hurting my head. At one point, LaForge refers to Captain Part. He says jean Lu. He calls him jean Luc. Yeah. I, it's kind of like calling my dad by his first name. It just sounded so see, weird. <laughs> I think it's all good things. Yeah, yes, that's what and, I was exactly yes. going to say. Right. And, and again, and it makes sense. You They're know, old friends trying, at this point. It makes sense, but I still, it's just so weird to hear. It's like, again, it's like calling my dad by his oh. <laughs> See, my thing is that Jordy did not seem pleased to see him. And I'm like, I can't oh, wait yeah. to explore this. Oh. Like, it was very much like Riker being angry, like um, all good things, Riker, who was just like mm -hmm. kind of just fed up with Picard. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how they, Burton how looks, they work through that. Burton looks Everything sharp, looks though, in the trailer. He, oh. looks, yeah. he looks sharp. Everything looks wonderful. It's How do they all age so amazingly? It's like, man, this is incredible. I think it's going to be a romp. I really do. You know, um, I think everyone's going to have a blast. We're going to get hit with the feels. Yeah. Oh, see our old pals back that, listen, they were doing Star Trek when everyone expected them to fail. Mm -hmm. yeah. like there's a zillion Star Trek shows. Mm -hmm. It's like a sure thing almost, you know. Yeah. When they did TNG, it was a giant gamble. Yeah. No one Patrick Stewart was. The studio wanted to put a toupee on him. You know, yeah. why is he bald? I just remember the thing I loved Patrick Stewart at Gene's memorial hmm. said that um, the studio said he's but he's bald. He says, won't they have a cure for baldness by then? And Gene said, by then, no one will care. Hey. Ah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's what I miss the most about Star Trek is Gene's uh, kind of philosophy, you know? Yeah. There's an interesting book called The Last Conversation. That's uh, uh, just Gene Roddenberry chatting with, um, I think it was Herb Solo's wife. Just conversations about life and things like that. Really interesting. Um, how much of Picard season three have you seen, Doug? I haven't seen any of it. You haven't seen any. And I know that there's some fan reviewers who've seen it, but I haven't seen anything. So, are you going to be watching it like with us when it when it airs? Well, I'm going to the premiere. Okay. On the ninth. So not quite with us. Okay. I'm going with Barbara <laughs> Luna. Ah, nice. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to have Luna on. I'm going to escort Miss Barbara Luna, and um, I'm excited about it. I mean, first of all, I love Terry Metalis, mm -hmm. the producer of the show. He's like family, you know. Um, he was an assistant on Enterprise and Voyager, I think. It was like a wow, piano, really? Basically. Yeah. He used to hang That's out so in the cool. art department with us because we were cool. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's running that show, and he's a big yeah. Star Trek fan. 
it seems to have all the it seems to feel like an updated tng and it seems yeah, like it's well, going back to it which is and, which is great and he, and he loves it and dave blass the production designer oh my god i mean he showed me a picture of him in one of those maroon motion picture uniforms as a kid oh yeah and he was so That's molded cool. by the show you know uh and he fought the good fight to keep things as you're going to see a lot of things you're going to like you know um he brought Even well, he brought me and Mike in, and that's because of Terry, you know, to get some of that feel back in the graphics and the ships. The ships yeah. Were, you know, uh, you'll see a, an up res of what the surfaces of the ships look like. Yeah, uh, and there was... Um, oh, sorry, I'm interrupting. Uh, no, I'm so no, 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 interrupt. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say, there was like a... I actually screen uh, freeze-framed it, but there was a shot of like a door panel and i'm like that looks like a door panel from tng like all the l cars look correct yeah. and i'm like yeah. yes it feels yeah. like tng yeah the labels and you know yeah. the l cars on the back uh, it's not even backlets anymore it's like such a quantum leap beyond this new mm. bridge that they have curved panels that have you know playback graphics on them that are huge and um <clears throat> even like the helm and stuff that's like super flat monitor material it's all operating you know it's not hmm. being added later by visual effects they also have those i think they had four of those freestanding see-through plexi things with the graphics on them right and they use those a lot on like the marvel uh you know hover carrier mm -hmm. and and i want and i'd see those i go well they're really cool but man they must be distracting to try to read and look at <laughs> like and all i could say is that <laughs> on the bridge of the ship when the lights are low which uh, which some people have said to me why are the lights so low everything else is usually so brightly lit and i'm like no i think this is more realistic hmm. you know you keep your lights down your ambient light down so that the main thing are the graphics uh and uh you know uh it, that that makes perfect sense to me but the thing was that the see-through screens i swear to god your brain just focuses on the graphic Mm -hmm. I see past it. Yeah, yeah. I think that it would be confusing, but it wasn't. I was totally. I'm like, oh, okay, mm. okay. This way, I could see the graphic and also see what's going on, you know, on the bridge at the same time. You know. Well, I so, think yeah, one of the things you, one of the things you mentioned last time we talked, Doug, was how it was important that the control surfaces look like they were actually usable. And is that what we're going to see again in the in the new season yeah, three? Well, I mean, I have posted some pictures of some of the stations, you know. And yeah, they were, <clears throat> you know, Mike wasn't actually, Okuda wasn't actually doing the graphics, but he was like giving notes on everything. <clears throat> and um, um, and everybody wants to please Mike, you know, because they know Mike is the great father of Elkars. So it's like these guys, the animators and things that did the graphics are like going way out of their way to try to, you know, do something that he'd be proud of, you know. It's fantastic. Uh, and I think the graphics are amazing on the Picard starships. They're absolutely that's, that's beautiful. What... Now, am I allowed to ask about the Enterprise F? Were you involved uh, in that at all? I thought Enterprise F was something that came from, like, was it online or? I think game? so. I think like Oops. the original model was online, but I don't know if you like were able to update it or. 
Or it was uh, it basically just like a well, higher res version of the. No, I mean, it's like the Excelsior is like a next generation version of the first Excelsior, you know, the Excelsior, Excelsior 2. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, it, it looked, I, they, it was very important to Dave and Terry that things lined up with the rest of the universe that we know and love. Mm -hmm. That's why at the end of season one, I guess you had a fleet show up that was the same ship, like 10,000 yeah. of the same ship. Yeah. And they all, I, I remember when the Enterprise was the only ship in the quadrant. Now it's like 10,000 ships <laughs> can throw up, but can show up. But the thing that they look like they were rubber stamped. Yeah, you said you, you, the, the term you used it, the last time was it was cut and paste, cut and paste, oh, cut, cut and paste. paste. Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. Well, we talked about this already. Yeah, and then the season two fleet, perfect. Season two fleet, the fans went crazy. Oh, that's this, yeah. class. that's this class, that's this class. <laughs> of course, how do you not know this about Star Trek? That's what the fans love. Yeah, how did you miss uh, that? Yeah, you know. So um, we didn't get to do as much space on season two, which is a disappointment for me. We ended up going to L.A. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Uh, but the first couple of episodes with the ships were like fans went crazy over the stargazer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, the surface detail, they loved it, you know, because, and I'm sure I talked about this before. You have someone in there that speaks the language. Dave Blast knows this. And if he tells me to go do a starship, I know it's got to have phaser strip. I know it's got to mm -hmm. have an airlock. I know it's got to have, you know, a, uh, you know, warp core egress. I know you have to have a tractor beam emitter. I know that you need transporter emitter. I know all of it. So it's like that's what fans are looking for. Mm -hmm. They want to see that you're one of them, that you're speaking the same language. As soon as they see a ship and nothing makes sense, it looks like a Star Wars ship. Right. Then right. now you've lost them. They're like, <laughs> oh, you're trying to fake us. You're trying to fool us, huh? So uh, I think people will. I'm not saying everything's going to be perfect, but I think people are going to really be happy with the hardware. Yeah, nice. Well, that's team. that's we're, your. We're back in space! Favorite. Yay! Yeah. Yes, all space with all our it's friends. Be so good! Yeah. I'm so excited. All yeah. our friends. That's such a good way to put that. Because I remember in season, I think it was season one, when Riker and Troy show up and Riker's making pizza. That that episode awesome. was just. I just. I was in tears, and my wife is sitting yeah. next to me, and my wife is kind of a star trek fan but not really but she loves picard she will watch picard without any argument with with me she just loves it <clears throat> and she sees me crying as riker and troy show up and i'm just like this is so beautiful and she's just like they're just they're just he's cooking pizza what are you crying for i'm like you don't understand i grew up with these it was like coming home yeah, was yeah, like, well, yeah. well listen i'll tell you especially since i lost dorothy i uh i was not a weepy guy mm. You know, I mean, I was getting a little more sentimental as I was getting old, but um, it was like something, you know, when you feel real grief for the first time, mm -hmm. I, and I realized I hadn't really never felt grief before. It's so mm -hmm. overwhelming that it literally, in a way, rewires your brain a little bit. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And I found myself crying at the craziest shit I see on television, mm -hmm. things you wouldn't believe. I'd start to break down and cry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, you know what what show really one that made me cry on Orville in, uh, in season three I think it was twice twice in a lifetime it was when M Malloy gets blown back in time something happens in engineering and he's gone and they get a distress signal from like 200 years earlier 300 years earlier he's on earth come get me 
Did you not see this one? I, I'm, I'm very behind caught, on the Orville. Yep. They show see, now up. that's on Disney Plus. I can catch up. They show exactly. Up. I've got to do the same thing as well. He's got himself a job. He's working as a uh, you know a uh, shuttle jet you know uh, service, and uh, he looks across the field and here comes Seth MacFarlane and what's the name? Hmm. Anyway, they they miscalculated. They come back ten years too late. He takes him home and he's got a family. He's got mm. a woman that he fell in love with from the cell phone. He found her and married her. <laughs> and they're saying, well, you've broken like 25 temporal rules here. We have to take you back. Oh, my goodness. And he's like, I'll kill you. I'll fight <laughs> you with everything I've got. Wow. And I just lost it. Because here's this guy who's losing, going to lose everything. Um, And that's where I was. That's mm -hmm. where I still mm -hmm. am, you know. Mm -hmm. Um. But now talk about stupid things that make you cry. Have you have you been watching Wednesday? Yes. I have watched all no, of I Wednesday. Wednesday. Oh, yes, I'm, I love like Wednesday. Yep. Love yep. Wednesday. It's one of the best things Tim Burton's ever done, I think. <laughs> yes, without a doubt. It but hasn't Tim, made me cry, though. I mean, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Well, I'll tell you where I cried, which is crazy because all through the thing, Wednesday has been so she doesn't even blink once yeah. during the whole series. And uh, Morticia and uh, Gomez have sent Thing to spy on her, the hand. Yes. Mm -hmm. And she catches him and locks him in the drawer and says, unless you work for me, I'll keep you in there until you slowly lose your mind trying to claw your way out. And so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Thing comes out trembling. <laughs> but, but the thing is, that Thing is her henchman after that. And mm -hmm. she's very cold to him. And then mm -hmm. Morticia comes back and finds him nailed to the wall. Someone mm. nailed him to the wall and she freaks out and carries him and brings him to Uncle Fester, who rubs his hands together and uses electricity like he's given him, you know, shock treatment. That's right. Says, I'm sorry, Wednesday, he's gone. And she she becomes emotionally moved. I mm. cried like an hour after that. Mm. Wow. I kept going back to it. Mm. It's a disembodied hand. <laughs> Can you imagine if it, the rest of the body was there? <laughs> right. How upset I would have been. But it's just amazing how it it could uh, rewire your whole brain. Yeah, yeah. There was an Amazon commercial that made me cry. And I'm like, how is Amazon making me cry? It's just like it's basically advertising Prime Delivery, but it's like this really sad story about this kid that loses his mother and he's obsessed with the snow globe. And whoa, so the whoa, dad see, him, ah, oh, no, yeah. you just said it. Well, yeah. kid lost his mother. Yeah, yeah, right. But it's like, mm -hmm. so I get that. But it's just like, why? Like, I'm in, I'm at my good life gym. You had grief, right? Room, and I'm like, you mm. had grief. Was, had was grief? this after you lost your mother? Oh, yeah. This was that's like, why, that, that's well, exactly had, it. Oh, yeah. It's very simple. But it's so surprising that an Amazon commercial of all mm -hmm. places can well, like, do the, the right craziest thing. stupid thing. Well, I'll lose it. Yeah. I'll, I'll get emotional yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's a, it's one of those things too where there's, you know, you, you have to, you have to let that come. I mean, I've learned that through my 43 years is that when, when I've lost people dear to me or, or sometimes it's not a person, although that's the most precious, that's what's so hard about losing someone like Dorothy, Doug, I'm sure is that's the most precious thing in the whole wide world. There's nothing that can replace that. She's and, the best friend I ever had ever. Yeah. And ever. You, can, you have to go through I don't, I don't, I don't know how people try to push that away, you know, go through it. You best to cope, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, the idea that someone's gone forever, ever. Yeah. That's 
when you're that close, that connected, you know. So I mean, let's, we never let's, had an argument, not once, not ever. Wow, wow. Let's go back to the beginning then, Doug. How did you meet Dorothy? How did you, and I wrote here, the, I used the word woo. How did you woo her? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of funny because we came out to L.A. to do Dick Tracy. And uh, when we were setting up our lab in Van Nuys, I got a recommendation for someone named Dorothy Duder from, uh, I guess he was a lab manager at Rick Baker's. And uh, I called her on the phone. She sounded excited. She told me, well, I found out later from her memoirs that everyone was talking about this big show that Warren Beatty was doing mm -hmm. to be on it. So when I called her, she was pretty excited about it. And I said that we were staying at the Beverly Garland hotel at the time on Vineland. And, uh, uh, I said, hey, John, should we meet her in the restaurant, my partner? And he says, no, we're in Hollywood. Tell her to meet us by the pool. And we both burst out laughing. That was classic. It's a real yeah. Hollywood line. Yeah. And I told her, I said, meet us by the pool. And in her memoir, she talks about that saying, it's hard enough staying cool when you're trying to get a job you really, really want. But then when they ask you to meet them by the pool under the L.A. sun, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I just remember that when she came over, I knew it was her instantly, you know, just her confidence uh how she was put together her posture the way she walked everything was like perfect and we got along really good with her i remember she gave each of us a card and the card said um uh accounting uh no no drama no chaos no chaos but some great baked goods and so she, she, you know, everywhere she went, she was always like baking and bringing in cookies and cakes and stuff like mm. that. But anyway, after she left, I said to John, I go, forget it. Are you kidding me? She's way too good for us. She belongs in like a glass tower somewhere, not in some makeup <laughs> lab. And I almost made the biggest mistake I ever made in my life. And so she came to, he said, no, come on, let's give her a shot. And we did. And um, believe it or not, Dorothy and I were like brother and sister. And that's got to be the best way to start a relationship mm. as brother and sister, mm -hmm. where we knew each other as besties for like three years before we dated three years. Mm -hmm. uh, and so by then we'd been through shows together and jobs together and we knew each other really well, you know, uh, and, uh, uh, and of course we were always huggy with each other, but there was nothing behind it. You know, it was just affection. But, uh, yeah, she started, I was going to a place that's actually a Hollywood legend, if you ever, you know, Google it, called Vince's Gym in mm. Studio City. It was this gym that, like, old-time bodybuilders mm -hmm. went to. It had been there, like, 50 years, and it was once the only gym in the Valley. And the studios would send actors over there, and I had known about Vince's for a while and wanted to go. And I started going there when I was on Dick Tracy, and I guess we were both about 33, 34, something like that. And, you know, your your metabolism changes. People start getting this, uh, you know, <laughs> spreading and losing their muscle tone. Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Yep. And um, I mean, I know I remember, a guy. <laughs> I remember Dorothy saying to me that uh, I don't do the E word. She means exercise. I don't do the E word. After a couple of years, she could see that I was actually getting better. Mm. And she finally says to me, I want you to introduce me to Vince's gym. And I was stunned because... I didn't think she'd last two weeks because it was a dungeon. 
it was like there was no air conditioning in the summer. There was no heat in the winter. Wow. There, there were bugs that could move 50 pound plates. And, <laughs> and I figured that she wasn't going to last. But and this was a gym that only became co-ed like maybe five years before. Mm -hmm. And she came in and she freaking owned it. It was amazing. She even ended up with Vince putting a picture of her on the wall. Wow. Uh, and that's when I first started noticing her in a different way. <laughs> She'd come in with these two-piece workout outfits. Yeah. You know, and there's a certain point, there's just so much you could take. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. And then and from there, where when did you decide to how did you propose? Or did she propose to you? Is this a modern? No, world? no, I wouldn't. No. Um, actually, we used to go to, we, you know, there's this Mexican restaurant we go to called Granada. We would go every Friday night for 30 years and get margaritas and stuff like that. And, um, it was just starting to dawn on me how difficult it would be for either one of us if something happened to either one of us because we had no legal connection to her. And although you, you know, it's nice to say it was romantic and everything, but it was mostly me being practical saying, you know, talking about this and saying, um, I think we should get married. And I said, excuse me, I got to go to the men's room. And when I came back, there was like champagne on the table and she was like weeping. <laughs> and I never knew mean that much to her because when I first met her, she said that she had decided she was going to spend the rest of her life alone probably because, you know, she was, She'd been through it with men. Men are assholes. Mm -hmm. You know, they're really hard <laughs> to deal with men, you know. Uh, and I totally understood. But, it, of course, it was a great, made me feel good that she was so excited that I asked her, even though it wasn't on one knee, <laughs> which I gladly would do that. Mm -hmm. that that's that's okay. I, I proposed to my wife at uh, Riverside Raceway one Saturday night after the sports car races. And I didn't even... I didn't even do it properly, but she knew exactly what I meant. And we've been married for 41 years now. Yeah, you're lucky. Mm -hmm. well, I only got 32 years. Yeah. Well, it was the same thing. You know, I met her at work and we were friends for a couple of years before. Well, that's the best way because, yeah. you know, especially like my parents' generation, World War II generation, you'd find somebody, go out, meet them at a bar. And sometimes 48 hours, you'd be married. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and then they wonder why, you know, they hate each other and they're alcoholics. And, you know, it's not the way to get married. That's just mm -hmm. nuts. Right. Um, yeah, well, you can do that on TV. Well, yeah. it used to be. You couldn't have sex unless you were married. Mm -hmm. Yes. So people mm -hmm. are going to get married no matter, you know, I got to have sex before I go to Germany or whatever. <laughs> Pacific. Yeah, and, uh, and how many how many TV series or shows or movies did you and Dorothy work on together? Was it all the Star Trek series that you worked together? Or no, no, she she came into Star Trek on Enterprise when food became a thing. Okay, because they decided that they used to do plot exposition in the turbo lift. That's what the turbo lift was for, plot exposition. Mm -hmm. And they decided they wanted to break that, and they decided they they would do kind of like what they used to do in Bonanza. Everybody would sit around a breakfast table and talk oh, about yeah. what's going on down oh, on my gosh. You know, <laughs> the lower southern end of the Ponderosa. Uh, so 
um, Craig Binkley, Bink, lo lovingly known as Bink, had brought in, and usually that falls in purview of the prop guy, brought in a couple of uh, food stylists, and I could see he was going through hell. And I knew I had the perfect person, but I wanted him to be good and desperate before. <laughs> and um, I, you know, I, I was in his office and he says, Dougie, I, I don't know. I, I could find food stylists, but for some reason they can't follow directions and they can't figure out how to be anywhere on time. You know, <laughs> and I said, Bink, have I got the girl for you? And I told him, I said, I said, Dorothy could more than do this and she would rather die then let me down and she'd rather die than let you down too. Mm. And she came in and just, he, they loved each other. It was just like a love fest. They had so much fun. They called each other Fred and Ethel. <laughs> and uh, it was, you know, it really turned out great. Never had a problem with Dorothy. She's there on time and it's ready. Yeah. Oh. Did she, did they have like, I mean, did they have a kitchen or something for her to work with at, at, at the production? She would prepare a lot of the stuff here and bring it in okay there, there was a kitchen on the nx that um if it was set up she would use that kitchen because it was a nice kitchen you know mm. and it really actually worked yeah wow yeah um Learning of course, you know if there was fire on the range if it wasn't electric you know they'd have a guy with a propane tank to, you know run it up or run you know okay um but uh, yeah she became very well known on stage one because she's really funny and she could hand she could dish it back you know it's kind of a, it could be a pirate ship sometimes <laughs> um and every you got to have a thick skin you know people are working together for long 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 hours um and if you don't have a thick skin you don't last because mm. people will you know they'll kid each other call each other names give each other a hard time you know uh some people can't do it. I mean, I'd seen, I'd seen people cry, you know, mm -hmm. on stage. Uh, but Dorothy was like, you know, I got you right here. You know, I mean, she was like, you know, they loved her because she could take it. Not only could she take it, she could dish it back, which is why we loved her. Mm -hmm. We're doing makeup together because she, she was so proper and etiquette was so important to her. And she came and dressed beautiful every day and, Lots of style in class. We can still laugh at a fart joke and appreciate three stages. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah, because from the very beginning, the very first episode of Enterprise, there is the scene where they're in the captain's mess and T'Pol is trying to eat a breadstick with a fork and knife. And they've got their steak. And you're like, wow, there's real food. They've got a T-bone steak with potatoes and oh, yeah. iced tea. And, and it's good like, to this eat. is Let real stuff. <laughs> yeah. Really good to eat. The leftovers would always come to the art department. You know, oh, what was really something, though, is when Dorothy had to do like Klingon food. Oh, really? Yeah. She'd go to, there's a, um, there's a supermarket bodega near here. I can't remember what the name of it is. Um, but you could go in there and get like every piece of a pig you could think of, you know, as a matter of really? fact, Mike Westmore said, if you had a tube of crazy glue, you could put your own pig together. Oh, <laughs> but she would go and get like hogs, feet, and all kinds of horrible stuff. And it would be in the fridge. 
I would get up in the middle of the night, you know, I like to get up in the middle of the night and eat something and I, my eyes would be half closed and I'd be like a zombie looking for brains, open that refrigerator and there'd be hooves and snouts. <laughs> close the door, go back to bed. <laughs> it was fun. That's great. Adina, you've been so quiet. I know. Well, part of it is I just keep putting myself on mute because there, there's some noise in the background. I'm home alone with my kids. That's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so in, I don't know if we asked you this the last time you were on the show, but is, is there a particular moment uh, in Star Trek that has really touched you or moved you besides your scene on next gen, when you get to walk across the 10 forward lounge, uh, I saw that post this week or last. And um, but, so besides that, besides your cameo, was there, is there a scene or something in any of the tracks that you particularly love or have fun fondness towards? Well, of course there's nothing like the original series. Um, they were taking a chance and inventing mm. something. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, and of course, I was weaned on the original series and watched it whole first season in black and white. We didn't even have a color TV. Wow. wow. Welcome to it's the club. Actually, well, it's actually a great way to watch it. I recommend everybody hmm. watch an episode of the original series, especially first season, in black and white. Turn the saturation off. And then take it, an episode of Enterprise and turn the color off and compare the images. And that the original series was designed to look amazing in black and white. Okay. Mm -hmm. And color. Mm -hmm. The new shows are made to just look good in color. It's really interesting. Interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's really interesting. But anyway, you know, for me, I, I was so impacted by the original series, and I was not a science fiction novice. I mean, I was mm -hmm. like twelve or something. Uh, I, you know, there was there were science fiction movies, you know, like them and. Forbidden Planet and stuff like that, and twenty thousand leagues under the sea. But um, I was a kid who really was a science fiction. I read science fiction, you know, all the classics: H.G. Wells, Edgar Rice Burroughs. I mean, I read all the John Carter books three times. You know, I, I was addicted to the books, mm. uh, and it there weren't that many science fiction shows back then. And if you got one that really took itself seriously, like Twilight Zone. Yep. You know, or um, Outer Limits. Outer Limits episodes. Yeah. You know, um, there's some really amazing stuff that, that they did. But then you'd have Erwin Allen, which he'd bring in fantastic illustrators to design shit. He'd go, oh, Forbidden Planet. That guy's going to design my Jupiter too. Mm. I love that robot. That guy's going to design my robot. And look, the robot and Jupiter 2 are gorgeous. You know, the sea view is gorgeous. I love the sea view. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a spectacular design. And and the control room, and, you know, he, he started with a movie. So he had, uh, uh, and all of his shows tended to get be pretty goofy, even if they started off semi-serious, you know. It was within a couple episodes, guys painted silver would be kidnapping people. It always, it always became Monster of the Week. Monsters, and, you know, and then it would circulate the monsters among the shows. That mm -hmm. monster was on Voice of Autumn of the Sea, but this week it's on <laughs> Lost in Space. Um, and so as a really literate kid, 
seeing Star Trek was mind blowing. I was mm. like, wow. wow. Mm -hmm. This is treated so seriously and so thought out. And look at that ship. My God, it's so beyond anything. I mean, back mm. then, it was all silver rocket ships, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then Enterprise came along and it was just mind boggling. What a gorgeous design. Mm. Plus, the fact that Matt Jeffries was a flight engineer. The art director and uh, Gene Roddenberry was a B seventeen pilot during the mm -hmm. war. They had a sense of what felt real, even if it was simple shapes and angles and made out of masonite. The the aesthetic to where it was painted and uh, and aligned and arrayed. Uh, it just you went with it because you could see that spark, hmm. you know, of reality that they infused into it. I mean, why do you watch a show? like um, court martial where outside the window there's obviously cut out cardboard buildings out there with <laughs> lights on them it's obvious it's very much like theater mm -hmm. yeah yeah if it's done with enough love and belief and passion people will recognize that and make exceptions to things hmm. that really i mean that that's a theatrical solution what they did there but you buy it because the actors right. are good and the story is strong and you're meeting oh, yeah. people samuel t cogley attorney at law and going wow this is amazing such a good episode i remember it's the one episode my grandma like i would always tear i wouldn't say i would terrorize them but i'd come from from school and i turn on star trek and my grandma was always nice and my grandpa but they would always tune out but court marshall came on and my grandma was like i'm actually kind of into this what's going to happen to kirk is yeah. he gonna how is he gonna get out of this uh, yeah so well it's done. such a good episode there's that wonderful scene where McCoy and Kirk go into the lounge, which was later used to make the Tribbles Lounge, go into the lounge to get a drink. And he runs into a couple of guys at the bar and they kind of give him the cold shoulder. Yeah. And then make some snarky comments about getting a new something officer, you know. <laughs> uh, and you realize he's really in trouble, you know. Uh, and he's he's basically had it and leaves the bar. Mm. McCoy stays behind and um, Kirk's old girlfriend, who is the prosecution. Oh yeah. That's what happens. <laughs> Kirk is there. The girl comes in. He's like a real, I, I should have felt the electricity in the air, you know? And, <laughs> and she starts saying, Jim, you got to quit fooling around. This is serious stuff. And the prosecution is going to do this and that. And he's like, well, how do you know so much about what the prosecution is going to do? And she says, Jim, my dear old love, I am the prosecution. And it's mm -hmm. such an amazing moment where he goes out and McCoy sits down with her and he says, how come all my old friends look like doctors and all his old friends look like you? <laughs> Holy cow. I mean, can you get better than the Force Kelly for adding right. so much heft to everything? Uh, he's, uh, so he's so good. good. But I, there are, of course, I think my two very, there's so many original mm, series episodes I like, mm. but the two that really emotionally, of course, City and Edge of Forever, not emotional for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I found that as I got older, as I got old, got to stop saying older. As I got old, the one that got me again and again and again that never did before was Metamorphosis. Oh, really? Metamorphosis. Is so mean hmm. about the companion. I let that thing crawl around in me and inside me for years, and it's disgusting. And they're like, well, it's love, you know. Mm -hmm. It's such a but when he finally learns to love her, you know, it it breaks me down every time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, she was great. She's so mean in the beginning of the episode. <laughs> I got to say, I, I just, um, it's been a while since I've watched the original series. And just today I had, had an opportunity to watch two episodes, Charlie X. Oh, um, oh, that and then, too. Uh, where no man has gone before amazing and episode to watch i just i cannot i watched it on my phone okay i didn't see it on my big tv but my goodness i've been these guys know i have it's been way too long and now i'm going back i'm hooked after two episodes it's like i'm watching them for the first time again mm-hmm. and i can't believe especially charlie x i was just riveted i mean where well, no man has gone before too is superb but i just it's the it's writing. so amazing. The thing is that these guys, like Roddenberry, see a show you have to watch is Have Gun Will Travel. It's a oh, yeah. yeah. It was late fifties into like sixty-two. Um, it there's so much of Star Trek in there. Hmm. The character Paladin is like the three guys fused into one character. And Gene Roddenberry wrote twenty-four episodes. Twenty-four episodes. And you only had 22 minutes to tell a whole gripping story. Now what happens is that they take one story and they stretch it out across 10 episodes. Right, right. <laughs> and um, the writing, you had to really be sharp and really tell a gripping tale mm-hmm. in very little time. Yeah. And feel like you watched an hour. Mm-hmm. I have to watch our shows and feel like, wow, they stretched a 20 minute show out to an hour, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but there are scenes. I mean, Gene wrote one called the great Mojave chase. You know how Mojave always reckon and stuff he does. Mojave. Hmm. Um, Paladin is like a kind of a soldier of fortune, but he, he, people can hire him to help. And well, anyway, it's a thing where there's a race across the desert that's being held by the, a bad guy who's in control okay. of water rights and they're strangling the town off. And there's a scene in the beginning where Richard Boone Paladin is reading for help from these people there. And there's a drunken cavalry officer who's his friend and he's talking like this. He says, oh, I don't know what's wrong with those idiots. <laughs> you know, they brought in camels. Now, this is a true story. They did try camels out in the desert back in the late 1800s. Hmm. And Gene took it and made it a story. The guy is drunk talking about foul smelling beasts. And, you know, you know, and Paladin's reading about the race through the desert. And this cavalry man says, oh, it won't want those stinking things. And he goes, well, Charlie, you know, it could just be your best friend. And the next shot is him picking up one of the surplus camels from the military rides a camel into town it's awesome gene roddenberry <laughs> then there's another one that there's so much of the cage he he gets waylaid by some uh, highwaymen and makes his way to a farm where there's a beautiful girl and um uh, the maid there and they both the maid falls in love with paladin right away they give him a job they don't he looks like a traddle a saddle bum hmm. but there's scenes in there where paladin is wooing a young lady by reading Shelley and Shakespeare and things like that. It's just something right out of Star Trek. And she's like getting the vapors from it and then pulls back. But there's a scene where they ride out into the country and it's almost exactly the scene between um, uh, uh, Captain Pike and our green girl, mm-hmm. Susan Oliver. 
It's almost exactly the same wow. scene. Wow. And, and the way it ends is the two women looking at him longingly and they're saying, we'll never find help like that again. No, we won't. And they just watch him. And it's like a scene from Star Trek where I will watch the stars, Captain Kirk, and I will remember. <laughs> but there's some really good stuff. And, you know, I read, I've read articles where David Gerald has said, Gene's problem is that he's never been an Indian. He's always been a chief. Mm. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you don't even, this guy started your career. And you don't even know what he's done or anything. Twenty-four episodes on Have Them yeah. Travel. Mm-hmm. One of the more I, literate cowboy shows on television. I didn't realize he wrote that many for. Oh my God! Amazing, mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Oh, and, and there's names that occur. Uh, Robert April. Oh yeah. Character on Have Gillen Will Travel. Okay, interesting. Um, you know, there's a Pike. <laughs> you know, names he's liked <laughs> over the years. He carried them over from huh. one series to the next. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, very influenced Ruby. by a man from Uncle as well. Um, one of the guys from Havgun Will Travel was involved with Man from Uncle, and Gene was going to dailies. You know, he come visit them. And are you familiar with the Uncle special? I had a picture of it on my Facebook page. It's a Walther pistol that has a silencer, a scope, a stock, mm-hmm. and a long extension, and it's so impressive to take out and put together. And they yes. have it on the show. It's gorgeous. It really is an amazing piece of slick Hollywood production design. Mm. Um, uh, where was I going with that? Oh, oh, yeah. So that weapon used to get fan mail. The Uncle really? Gun, MGM. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, and Gene, that was not lost on Gene. And that's that's why the pistol phaser is modular, because he loved the Uncle Gun. Oh, interesting. Pieces that go together that, that, one that, gun. It's interesting you say that because as I think I I wanted a, a man from Uncle briefcase when I was a kid. <laughs> and and in it came all the pieces to make that particular gun. Yeah. I thought that was gonna be the coolest thing in the world. So what did my parents buy me? Paints. Paint. Ne- <laughs> they thought, oh no, you should create, you know, get to your creative side and everything. I said, no, I want a man from Uncle briefcase. They were torturing you on cool purpose. Stuff. Why were yeah. they torturing you? <laughs> I don't know. Parents. Listen, I'm going to, 4.30 is my witching. I'm going to have to jump off at 4.30. because No, problem. I'm no problem. No problem. No, we, we can, we can, I think, uh, I think the last question I've got for you, Doug, is um, what do you think is the future of Star Trek on television? Do you think that... Um, because, you know, you look at Disney Plus and they've got so many episodes, different types of series, whatever, all surrounding Star Wars. Yeah. From Bad Batch to The Mandalorian to, yeah. you know, everything. Oh, well, you know, they're trying to do that with Star Trek. Um, do you think they're going to be successful? Can you think that the franchise is going to just, you know, are, well, are we just gonna, once, doing like okay. when the card's done? Are they going to like, what do we do next? Uh, well, I mean, they've, 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 they've uh, you know, um, I, I, it's really interesting what's happened because um, in the beginning I was very upset because they were so, and I, I haven't watched any of the new shows except uh, Picard because I, I'm working there, so I have to. Right. Um, but I saw things that were happening that were so obviously missteps. You know, not caring about continuity and well, I want to. This isn't what they had. That what they had is shit. 
<laughs> which can be the attitude, you know, and mm -hmm. I want to put my own stank on it, you know. Uh, the thing about Picard is that I think you'll feel like it's pretty much the same universe, mm -hmm. you know, that it really is next generation. And that's, that's important because that's the one thing that I notice about the Star Wars series, even the animated series, is that they keep a continuity of look. Continuity is everything. But the thing is that mm -hmm. I realized I had to come to peace with it. I feel like the Picard universe is very close to the universe we watched in the 90s. Right. Very, very close in the third season, especially. Somewhere along the line, and I think it had to do with the NX, because the temporal cold war was going on, right? Mm -hmm. The NX was at the center of it. And somewhere along the line, something the NX was involved with splintered the, the entire Star Trek oh, universe into a it. multiverse where there's like so many different versions of one reality that the differences are, well, it's because it's not the same universe. Mm. And I could buy that. Once I came to that, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, it's a different, a whole, a wholly different universe. Mm -hmm. you know? Oh, so Picard is like you're saying that you feel like in your own head, Picard is now a slightly altered universe or a parallel one. Uh, I think it's the same one. The other it's... ones are different. Oh, okay. You're, 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 you, so you're seeing the like the progression of original series, TNG, DS9, Voyager. And then you go to Picard, Picard, and it's going okay. You just continue on. That's one it. timeline. Yes, mm -hmm. those other shows are different realities. <laughs> so you're. I'll you're, take you're that like, Discovery, you know, except well, for for Strange New Worlds. That one I like being regular, but Discovery. Okay, I'll yeah. If, okay, if if you're accepting that they're a different reality, does that mean is that enabling you to watch them? No. Or are you still not watching them? No, I'm still not watching them. Okay. Uh, number one, I like when people ask me, I love not having an opinion. Mm. Okay. Because some people freak out at your opinion. Right, some right. People get angry. People don't you know? get upset about that. What do you mean? Never. It's like you're telling them that they suck, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm glad not to do that. And um, uh, and plus, I'm so opinionated about the show. It, mm. it infuriates me when I see um, things baldly. Mm -hmm. you know, forgotten yeah. or saying, well, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the, the technology should be connected. You know, whenever we did shows all the way through to Enterprise, they connected, you know, everything connected. That's the Also, I'm, though, continuing to move into the future, into the future. Well, okay, yeah, Enterprise went. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I was going to say they kept going to the future, 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 but Enterprise didn't. Yeah. So, never mind. Yeah, Enterprise had started with Enterprise, which you could see as the show went on, that the graphics became more yeah. like the original series. Yeah, the red lighting and like yeah. the different colors, like different what color a lights, cool doing this, uh, mm -hmm. you know, design yeah. choice. Yeah, it was Fantastic. on purpose, and that's and the idea that the NX would eventually get a secondary hull. I just I planned it that way from day one because mm -hmm. I wanted people you wanted to like start to evolve into the constellation once planet. people realized when i did the refit even people who didn't like the nx were like oh i get it now and yes. all of a sudden they loved the ship because they love seeing things progressing mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there's a through line people love that it, it's a, it gives you it's comfort mm -hmm. continuity gives comfort i agree really with you does. 
I really do agree with you. But you know, I mean, now they've got this. It's a Star Trek multiverse. Okay, okay, sure. It's science fiction. You should be able to stretch it in every conceivable direction. I just need a reason why it's not tying together with mm -hmm. all those years mm -hmm. that I loved. Well, it's because mm -hmm. it's not the same universe. Yeah. And when you saw the fleet in the beginning of season two of Picard, and you recognized all those ships, did that make your heart leap? Oh, yeah. I yeah. paused Hell it multiple yeah. times. It was like, oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. yeah. So uh, People who don't love it yeah. don't not recognize that. They don't know what an impact that has because they don't feel that love. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know? It's, they were brought in as a director or, you know, Star Trek. Well, I actually never saw it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like JJ gave us it's gave it the okay to have a multiverse because he had to do that to have his change of everything. That well, I mean, I never heard them say it's a multiverse. That's why everything we do is different. But every, yeah, but they always yeah. say this I is think the Ke they... Kelvin timeline and this is the TOS timeline. And so I, oh, well, I, that's with their way of explaining it. When yeah, the fans were shitting. Well, yeah, I remember <laughs> when it came out originally, they were saying, no, this is just like the regular timeline. And then people right. were like losing their mind because of Vulcan damage numbers. control I being so stressed out. <laughs> and then I think uh, I can't remember who wrote Robert Orsi might have come out and said, no, no, don't worry. This is just a splinter timeline. And then I'm like, OK, yeah. I can allow it's it. So it's not going to impact. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I track. buy that. The, there were a couple other things that really bothered me that I've come to peace with, like, for instance, People go crazy about the idea of a window on a bridge. Oh, people were so stressed out about that. Oh, well, I hated that when I first saw yeah. it. It's supposed to be a viewer. And then I realized, well, you know, the only reason it's a viewer is because the idea of a viewer that size was science fiction in 1960. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Still is. And also, we know we have transparency. In space. <laughs> Maybe it's a variable transparency area in front of the bridge. There's a good reason for people to... Put their eyes on things. An astronaut, I can't remember his name now, said that there's something to be said for seeing beautiful, unexplored places with your own eyes. Mm -hmm. So since we know that Star Trek and Gene Roddenberry often did things just for the human spirit of it, you know, so you've got, call it a window if you like. Some other, some guy on my Facebook page said, you know, you could have a guy who lived a thousand years on the original series uh, Requiem from Methuselah, a guy who lived a thousand years and he was Da Vinci and he was this guy and he was that guy and he was Plato and they can't have a window on the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> How do you lose your shit over that? Without the crazy stuff they're doing, you know. But I think I, I commented I, on your window thing on 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 Facebook the other day. Yeah, that that yeah. I think that got like. You know, 500, 600 likes. Wow. Or something. Yeah. wow. <laughs> uh, the other thing that gets me is the people ripping the show because of the shiny floors. Yeah. <laughs> How do you run on those floors? I'm like, first of all, you're telling me that you think Starfleet engineers are so dumb, <laughs> they're going to put slippery floors in the ships and won't realize it's a little battle. Stop. <laughs> Two, I'm from New York City, Manhattan, where there's so much shiny marble <laughs> where you walk in a building and it's reflective. Yep. You don't have any trouble walking on it or running on it or anything. You know, it's just there are some people who want to find things wrong because it makes you feel good to know better. Yeah. yeah. Than they yeah. did. Yeah. I get that. I, I think that part of the love of the show is taking it apart. Mm -hmm. If they're not talking about you, now you're failing. 
Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Yep. The fact that they're losing their mind over something, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Anything else, like folks, that. before we uh, sign off? Because it's getting close to Doug's cutoff time. Yeah. Uh, we just appreciate you, sir. We yes, appreciate just... you so much. All you do for uh, track and everything. You know, it's, it's we appreciate great it. With you. Um, Sitting here listening to the stories are great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I, I'm in the middle of writing uh, my memoir. Oh, and wow. Of course, 20 years of it is Star Trek. It's a 41 year career. Mm. I got some stories, man. Some crazy <laughs> stories, and it's it, yeah. I it's been therapeutic. Mm, I can only yeah. imagine. You know, I motion picture sent therapist to talk to me, and it's like just bullshit to me. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. like, you're not going to say anything that's going to give me an epiphany. Mm-hmm. And I just found that writing was like better than a raft full of therapists. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No. Taking my brain apart. That, uh, and with that, we have come to the conclusion of our interview with Doug Drexler. It's truly an honor to have you again on our podcast. And thank you again for your involvement with the Hollywood Food Coalition. Friends of the show, a friend of the show, pleasure. John Billingsley and his team put together a lot of effort in Trek Talks 2 and the success. And you were a part of it. So I know that uh, great. I'm Always sure it makes you that. feel good that you were you were so thank you thank it was you great that. seeing david livingston I, you know it's mm. because of david that i had my cameo in 10 forward oh really he he set it up oh cool you know a uh, june haymore patrick's makeup artist knew i was a big geek and she went to david livingston and told him and said can you put him in somewhere <laughs> and that's how that happened anyway and with that i'll say as always we do these recordings of our podcast for you our valiant and loyal listeners we love to hear your thoughts and opinions and suggestions and about this podcast or part ones please continue to follow us on facebook instagram visit our youtube page and send messages to our email address at big sci-fi podcast at gmail.com we hope you've enjoyed we hope you will be joining us at trek long island on the weekend of may the 20th and the 21st i believe this is the old stomping ground for Doug. We'd be doing uh, a podcast, having a Trek trivia contest and goodies for the winner and maybe orange slices for all the participants. <laughs> we hope to interview those that attend the event as well. And as always, I leave you with these parting words. Look to the skies. Live long and prosper. <laughs>